welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Well, it's good to see you here tonight. Trust you're uh, already enjoying yourself, but nonetheless expectant still. As we just come around the Word of God, that God can speak to you, that God can bring a measure of freedom that you've not yet experienced in life. You know, for those who perhaps are here for the first time tonight, we're in the midst of a series called Soul Detox. And if you are here for the first time, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Peter. I'm one of the pastors here at Victory Church. But we are in the midst of a series, just wrapping up a series really called Soul Detox. And it's a series that started last week, and we preached it last Sunday morning and night, and then again this morning. And uh, we're looking at this whole idea of a detox. Many people, I guess, are familiar with the concept of a detox because there's so much that's about physical health and fitness and so on and so forth today. And so most people, if they've been along to a, a doctor or a naturopath, they've been along to a chemist, you know, you've heard the term detox. You know that there are, you know, just by virtue of living on this planet, in this world, there's all sorts of things that come and, and sort of accumulate in our bodies. You know, and there are certain things that are not good for us that are accumulating in our bodies. You think, for example, of lead in the air is not good for us if it accumulates in our bodies. Think about some of the foods that we eat, you know, the preservatives and, and the, all the sugar and all the salt and all of those things which, you know, aren't necessarily good for our bodies. Think about even, you know, the water we drink, if it's contaminated, it causes problems down the track. And so we know that sometimes it's good just to give our body a rest, give our body an opportunity to get rid of some of the junk. And so, you know, the simplest way of doing a detox we spoke about last Sunday morning, just about doing a fast, just going without food for a, a, a period of time, preferably an extended period of time, not just five minutes or something. Um, but the idea is that it gives your organs a chance just to process what's in your body and get rid of it. And it's amazing that, you know, it might not be easy at the time, but if you actually do go through the process of doing a physical detox, that you feel so much better afterwards. And so, you know, that's true of the physical, but it's also true in terms of the soul. Okay, in this particular series, we're using the term soul to describe, or as a, I guess, the name for that immaterial part of our being. Okay, so we're not going to get into the semantics of, you know, what's the difference between the soul and the spirit. We're just saying that which is the eternal part, the essential part of our life, that which will go on into eternity, okay, distinct from our body. Because your body, my body, every person's body who's gone before us, those bodies are not built to last forever. Okay, they will break down, they will decay, and at some point, the real us will leave and go to be with God or to be apart from God. Hopefully, it's to go and be with God for us who know God. And so, that didn't sound good, did it? For the, hopefully, for all of us in this room is what I meant. Not hopefully for us, yeah. But uh, my hope is that every one of us has a relationship with God, and so our future is secure. Okay, but nonetheless, there's an eternal part to our being. You know, you already have eternal life in that sense. It's just a matter of where we're going to spend eternity. You know, but while we're in this world, just as our body can collect toxins, so too our soul can accumulate junk. Just through the, the culture that we live in, um, that some of the lies that we, that we believe, um, some of the things that go on in our life, you know, we can accumulate stuff. And so this series about how do we get rid of the stuff that sits in our emotional realm, the stuff that, that taints our mind, the stuff that, that, that causes us to be restless and, and feel heavy and, and, you know, all of these sorts of things. And so today, we're just going to continue this series by looking at the tortured soul, okay, the tortured soul. And I think there are three main areas that, that to me, bring torture or anguish or terror into our souls. Okay, the first one is, is the lies that we believe. 
The second one is, is the guilt that we carry from the things we've done. And the third one really is, is about unforgiveness. And so I'm just going to sort of, I guess, do a little skim across the surface of these things, just bring them to our attention again, because it could well be an opportunity for us to deal with some of those things that are in our lives that are causing us uh, torture at the moment. Okay? So I want to start this evening by looking at this whole idea of the fact that the lives that we believe torture our souls. And I was thinking, oh, what's, a, what's a good illustration for that? And I almost immediately went back to um, a time when I was teaching. And I had a very, very good friend called Sue Evans. Now, Sue's husband, Ted, is here. He's sitting at the back there. Ted, how you doing? <laughs> now, Sue is a very special person in my life because not only were we good friends when we were teaching together, but she actually introduced me to Sally Ann. And in fact, Sue and Ted had us over dinner and, you know, the rest is history. But one day, I remember... Um, we were in the corridor, in the staff room after a certain incident had happened and Sue was telling me about how she'd been in the, in the corridor just between lessons having a bit of a muck around with some of the kids and the vice principal had walked past and given her one of those looks that says, you know, that's not really t- um, behaviour becoming of a teacher in this school, etc. And so she'd got this look and she'd come into the office and just, you know, unloaded in the safety of our friendship. And so... <laughs> The next day, so she's feeling sort of a bit, oh, I wonder if I'm going to get in trouble, you know, all this sort of stuff. Uh, and she hadn't done anything wrong, but she's just, you know, she's a, she's a younger teacher, and so, you know, you just kind of have a good rapport with the kids. And, and the other guy was sort of more, more old school, okay? He was from England, and he was kind of, I'll cane you in a minute, you know, this sort of... <laughs> and uh, so he was really old school, and she was, you know, a bit more of new school. And uh, so she was a little bit stressed out about this. Anyway... The next morning, I rock up at school. We used to get to school really early, so I rocked up about six o'clock in the morning. And I, I don't know, I was just sort of getting ready for the day, and I, and I had this inspirational thought. I don't know, it probably wasn't the Holy Spirit, but, <laughs> but I just had this thought of that conversation we had before, and I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to play on Sue's fears. So what I did was I set to writing a letter, and it was something about, Dear Sue, it's come to my attention that some of your behaviour with regards to some of our students is unbecoming of a teacher at this school. You are seeking to fly in the face of all that King's Baptist holds dear. And, you know, just sort of, just sort of laid it on really thick like this, right? And, I'm, and I said, and if this continues, um, it could result in the termination of your employment sooner or <laughs> later. I mean, I was really waxing eloquent. Like, seriously, I was into this thing. I was writing this whole page. And... and and I was sort of chuckling to myself, just thinking, yeah, she's going to love this. <laughs> and, and then on the back, sort of continue on the next page. And, but then I finished, I thought, well, you know, so that she knows it's a joke, I'll draw a cartoon character of this vice principal swinging his cane, going, I'll cane you in a minute. You know, like, so the idea was that she reads the letter, gets a bit upset, turns around and goes, ah, oh, it's a joke. Anyway, and, you know, I was going to be there anyway when it all happened, so I'd be sort of sitting in my office, you know, Quietly, but as things happen, I got called out of the office. So she finds this letter on her desk, starts to read it, doesn't get to the second page. She's in tears. She's angry. She's crying. She rings the principal to give him a piece of her mouth, her mind. Fortunately, um, you know, she was short with the lady on the, on, on the switchboard. Fortunately, he was out of his office, so she didn't manage to get through to him. And then, she, and then I walk in the office and then she's in the tears. And of course, I thought, this is awesome. 
not. I mean, I'm just like, oh no, I was supposed to be here. So I'm trying to comfort him. It's all right, Sue, it's all right. Look, look at the back page, you know. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so eventually she saw it as a joke and, and it was all cool. And we were able to laugh about it later. <laughs> the point of that particular little illustration was that we are tortured by the lies that we believe. We're tortured by the lies that we believe. And you know that there's an enemy of our souls out there, the devil, who is a liar by nature, and he wants you to believe things that ultimately are going to torture your souls. The difference between me and him, for the most part, <laughs> is that I have compassion. And so the moment I walked in and saw this, you know, everything within me sort of wanted to go and rescue poor Sue who had, you know, taken the whole thing wrong, you know. Like. <laughs> and so, you know, I was, I was just trying to hose the thing down as, as best as I possibly could and as quickly as I possibly could because I just felt so bad about it, you know. But the devil doesn't ever feel like that. He is going to perpetuate lies in your life. He will either... either um, um, Internally in your head, he will put little thoughts there. I don't know that he can read your mind, but he can certainly sow thoughts of seeds of doubt and lies and all sorts of rubbish in your head that's going to mess with you. He will also influence others that they will bring lies into your life that if you believe will just ongoingly torture your soul. Okay, so that's the first thing. Now, Jesus said this of the devil. The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's in John chapter 8, verse 44 and 30, 45. So basically, he's going to lie to you. He's going to lie to you about your competence. He's going to lie to you about your abilities, or rather lack of. He's going to lie to you about how people see you. He's going to try and make you feel insignificant and insecure. He's going to lie to you about the motives of others. How many times have you got yourself all head up because you know, something's happened that's been negative and, you, and we just assume the worst about what a, that person is out to get me. They're out to undermine me. They're trying to set me up. Those sort of thoughts generally don't come from a sanctified spirit and, and, a, and a peaceful soul. They come, from, they come from the enemy. He wants to lie to you about your future or lack of. He wants to lie to you about even being guilty for things you haven't even done. So many people feel guilty. We're all guilty at one level. None of us are perfect. But often people live with a greater measure of guilt than their life would warrant because the devil is lying to them about that sort of thing. So that's the first thing. We are tortured by the lies that we believe. The second thing that we're tortured by is by guilt. And again, I must admit, just for a moment or two, I, I was definitely tortured by guilt as I walked into that office uh, and saw Sue distraught as she was. Um, but in particular, you know, the, the guilt that we have hidden in our lives, the things that we haven't fessed up to. Psalm 38, verse uh, 3 and 4 says, My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me, and my burden is too heavy to bear. And again, for those of us that, that have carried the weight of guilt, of sin, we know that that is all too true, that there's a torturing in our soul that goes on. It might be things that we've done in the past. It might be ongoing habits that are happening right now that we don't want people to know about. It might be relational. It might be a whole bunch of stuff going on. But where there's sin in our lives, there is torture going on in our soul. 
not just the torture of guilt, but it's the fear of exposure. What's going to happen when people find out? And then that leads to possibly the fear of rejection. And then ultimately, the fear of judgment. Not only that, there's the inward torture of having to lie to those that you love and who love you back and who trust you. And to portray something that's not true. And so internally, there's this turmoil, there's this anguish going on. There's the distance that's created in those relationships as we draw back because for fear of being caught out. There's the distance that created and relationships begin to crumble and erode as our guilt is hidden away. So that's the second thing. We're tortured by the lies we believe. We're tortured by the guilt that we hide. And thirdly, we're tortured by unforgiveness. Now again, I thank God for Sue in that particular situation that I mentioned before, that you know, she was able to see the funny side of it quicker or more sooner rather than later. Um, but, and and you know, we did joke about you know, how she's going to get me back and how embarrassing it's going to be and it will probably be in front of the whole school and you know, all that sort of stuff. But you know, the reality is that she didn't harbour that bitterness. She didn't harbour um, unforgiveness towards me. But again, the problem is that so many of us do harbour unforgiveness towards others. And the thing is that if, you, if someone does something to you that hurts you and bends you out of shape and you refuse to forgive them, what you do is you tie yourself to that person. Their destiny becomes entwined with your destiny. Whether you like it or not, if you don't forgive a person, if you don't cancel the debt, you will live, in a sense, in the shadow of their life. Because that sense of injustice will gnaw away at you. And your sense of injustice, or your sen- you want justice to be done, and you're feeling that, you know, that, that, that somehow they owe you something, and so you're looking for the worst to happen in them. And so if, the, if something bad happens and you rejoice, well, again, that's not healthy or helpful. But what feels worse for us is when something good happens to those who have offended us, to those who have hurt us. And so we tie ourselves to these people. And, you know, I know of people who, you know, years down the track, they're still festering. They're still hating that when they hear good news that someone's, you know, just had a baby or someone just got married or someone's just bought a brand new house and, and, and suddenly something goes off. It's, oh, they don't deserve that. I wish that child, they don't deserve kids. They don't deserve a new house. After all they did to me. Is that right or not? Has anyone ever battled with unforgiveness? It gnaws away. It tortures us on the inside. Jesus said this in Matthew 18, verses 34. He says, in his anger, this is the story of where Peter asked the question of Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? And Peter says, no, I tell you, uh, Jesus says to Peter, no, I tell you the truth, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And then he goes on and tells the story about the, the, the master and the servant, and the servant owes a whole lot of money, and that the master cancels the debt. Okay, he owes millions and he cancels the debt. And the first thing that the, the servant does is go out and find someone who owes him some money, starts choking him, says, Pay me back all that you owe me. And the chilling words at the end of that particular little parable are these In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until that he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. 
So I think that there's certainly a sense here, even, even in, in the short term, of the torture that goes on if we refuse to forgive. It's, al- it's almost like a God-ordained thing. You ca- we cannot live in unforgiveness and escape the torture that that brings upon our lives. Okay, so that's the bad news, I guess. They're the things that we deal with at times. Let's get to the good news, which how do we detox our souls from these things? When it comes to lies, the response to lies is truth. Okay, so if we want to detox from lies, we need to bring into our life truth. So we need to preach the truth to our soul. The answer to Satan's lies is always truth. John chapter 8, verse 32 says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So it's what we hear, what we bring into our lives is going to cause freedom and it's going to build faith or it's going to cause us to live diminished lives and it's going to cause us to despair and fear the future and so on and so forth. And so it's the truth that will set us free because it provides something solid to build on. I often, I mean I grew up in a house where there were certain... You know, in some situations they would just be cliches, but in our house they weren't cliches. I mean, I've been around Christians that have got lots of cliches but don't live in the power of those cliches. They're just cliches. But when those cliches are the word of God and you live in the power of it, it's significant. It will change your life. And I lived in a house with a couple of things I always heard. Many things I heard, but you know, just particularly the things that come to mind is if I was ever feeling insecure or inadequate or a challenge was coming up that was pretty overwhelming, Dad would get in my chest, he'd put his finger on my chest, and he would say, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And like, again, to some that would just be a cliche, well, what's the, you know, just, just a short sentence, how can that make a difference? But when you understand the truth behind that, it puts strength in you. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be the best brain surgeon. It doesn't mean I can do anything I possibly want to, but it just means that face up to it because God's in you. You know, another thing that I always just joke about when I first got married because one of the other little sayings that we grew up was, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so again, those two things working in combination, suddenly you have a can-do attitude as opposed to getting intimidated by the, the bigness of the task. And so Sally Ann, you know, when we first got married, say, can you put the bin out? And I'd say, I can do all things. <laughs> Through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> That's not an appropriate use of that scripture. <laughs> no, but seriously, just that attitude, it's just like becomes a reflex. If we know the word of God, and we, we can joke around it, but at the end of the day, it's, there's a power in that. You know, when someone asks you to do something, you can get caught up in the lies about what you're not and what you can't do and you're no good and you're just a miserable rotten so on. Or you can understand that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. You can do all things through him because he's strengthening to you. That makes sense? Excellent. To combat my inability to change, because sometimes, if you're like me, sometimes you get frustrated because, you know, patterns that you, you thought you'd grown past or you'd hoping you'd somehow, you know, they kind of find their way back into your lives or they're difficult to break. And so the devil just tries to, well, that's your personality. You're always going to be like that. You've always struggled this area. You'll never get the victory in that area. That's the lies. Of the devil. And so when that sort of stuff comes, I just remind myself of scripture like 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It talks about the fact that I'm being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Slowly but surely, little by little, I'm being changed. So one day to the next, I'm not the same as I was yesterday. Now that change isn't always in the area I necessarily want to, but I am not the person I was when I first met Jesus. I mean, I would never 
write a letter like I wrote to Sue now. <laughs> Watch out, Ben. I don't know. <laughs> no, seriously, you've got to look back sometimes, see where you've come from. Because it's true, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. It's no longer I that live, it's Christ who lives in me. Uh, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If we begin to meditate on these things, if we, first of all, we're going to know these things, but then to begin to reflect on the power that's in these things, and suddenly you can break out of the shadow of your own failings, of your own genetic you know, dis, you know, disposition, or whatever it is that you know, you're supposed to have got from your parents, and you're just this and you're just that, and they've struggled with that, so you'll probably struggle with that. All of those lies that keep coming at us. It's the word of God we need to use to fight those things, shake those things off so we can live in a place of clarity and a place of focus and get a little bit excited about life rather than tortured about what we're not and what we can't do and what people think about us and all the rest of it. You know, when you're feeling condemned because every one of us messes up, as I've said, and sometimes you can feel condemned about the, the very present and real sin in the future, but sometimes it's just stuff that comes up. I mean, I've done a whole bunch of stuff I am not proud of. You know, I think back to some of my school days and some of the beautiful young ladies who I just, you know, were just horrible to. And just, you just got to, and you think about it, God, really? How, you know, how can I be forgiven from that? Really? Some of the stuff, you know. But then you've just got to come back and say, no, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've just got to under, help ourselves to understand all things come together for good. You know, even some of those things that happened in the past, I'm friends with some of those people now. I've certainly, I think, it was, you know, I actually paid some consequences for some of the nasty stuff I did and it taught me a few things about life and about people. And so it was turned around for good, ultimately. I think part of who I am now is, you know, like Paul said, I feel like, um, you know, Paul talked about, I persecuted the church and now I feel driven. And so some people think I'm the nice guy. I'm not really that nice. But I do have a sense, I do feel driven because I haven't been so nice in the past. And so I, I, I want to love on people. I don't want to diminish people. I don't want to abuse people. I don't want to hurt people where I can help it. Romans chapter 8, verses 31. I'm just going to read this whole passage because I reckon if, you know, this is just powerful stuff, if we can grab this. If you're battling with condemnation because of the stuff that you've done in your lives. It says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not his Spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In other words, God has made a massive investment into your life. It's like you don't buy, you know, spend a million bucks on, on, you know, getting the best car that you can possibly buy on the face of this planet and then write the thing off if it gets a scratch on it. You know, you've invested in it. You know what I'm saying? And so God has invested his very best in you and I. If God is for us, if he who did not spare his own son, that's the investment. Jesus Christ has been invested in your life. He's not going to write us off just because we mess up. He doesn't want us to misrepresent him. He doesn't want us to hurt ourselves or others. But we're family. He's invested in our lives. We can be secure even though we mess up. Who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? I mean, like, come on, show yourself. <laughs> Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, 
is at the right hand of God and is also interceding or praying for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or danger or sword? And then skipping down, it says, For I am convinced that neither life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mate, start to unpack that, sort of start to apply that to your life rather than the lies of you're just this and you never get over that. And Mate, life changes. When feeling hard done by my Bible tells me I've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It talks about the fact that I am a son of God. It talks about the fact that I have been brought back out of darkness, that I have been um, forgiven of my sins, that I have the Holy Spirit living in my life, that my future is secured. And so, you know, sometimes we feel a little bit hard done by and things never go right for you and poor old you there, there, there and nobody loves you, everyone hates you. Why don't you just go and eat some worms? You know, why don't you leave this church? Why don't you go to a church where people really are loving and kind and reflect something of the image of Jesus? Not like this place. <laughs> no, we're blessed. And sometimes, you know, sometimes things get a little bit tough. Sometimes we lose a bit of focus, but we're blessed. When we're tempted to give up, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can be. If you will grab this, if we will grab this, He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But when we are tempted, He will provide a way out so that we can stand up to it. So let's not just cave into temptation. Let's start looking for the exit. Let's start looking for the way that we can stand up under this thing. That's just the word of God being applied to the lies of the enemy. And if you'll just do that on a daily basis, you'll be amazed at the sort of life that you can live. I mean, I thank God. Like, you know, Dad often gets a good rap from up here. And I just thank God for a man who just, like I said, for many, they're just cliches. They... they they say, greater is he that is in me and his is in the world and you know, all those sorts of wonderful truths, but they just throw them around. But the moment trouble comes, you can't see him for dust. Just cave in, run away. <laughs> but my dad has stood just because he believes these things. He has the truth of these things to stand on. It's like you draw a line in the sand and you stand on the truth. And the devil can do what he likes. He can buffet you, and he can, but he's got limited energy, limited resources, etc. And we stand firm on God's word. We will stand. That's the first thing. The truth is always going to outlast a lie. Always, always, always. The second thing, overcoming guilt. Simply confess your sins. It's better to confess our sins than hide from them. Proverbs chapter 28, or to hide them. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces their sins finds mercy. Now again, We've just talked about lies and truth. So the devil's response to that sort of stuff and our insecurities and all that sort of thing is, well, you know, but what if I do confess? And, you know, things will get bad. People are going to hate me. Well, yeah, that's, that's what we think. But the Bible talks about finding mercy on the other side of confession. So what are we going to go with? Are we going to go with the lies of the enemy that contradict the word of God? Or are we going to set ourselves to follow the word of God? So we confess our sins firstly to God because we need forgiving by God. 1, chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It goes on to say, if we say we haven't sinned, 
we make God out to be a liar, and the truth is not in us. And so if you've sinned, you're in good company. You're telling the truth. If we say we haven't sinned, well, we're calling God a liar because he knows us better than we know ourselves. But the good news is if we confess, we can receive forgiveness. We can move on. The slate will be wiped clean. You've seen those magna doodle things? You know, kids have one of those. And they say, Dad, draw me a picture. And so you draw a picture, you spend, you know, ages just doing your best portrait. And they go, cool, do it again. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, but that's a great picture of how God deals with our sins. It's not indelible in God's sight. He removes it as far as the east is from the west, talks about throwing it in, you know, in the deepest oceans. God is not concerned about what you have done. Once you have confessed it, once it goes under Jesus' blood, okay, once his sacrifice pays for it, done and dusted. That is it as far as God's concerned. If we can grab that, surely our mind, our, our soul can be a little bit more at ease than, than, than the fearful of judgment and fearful of death and what's coming. We confess to people for healing. James chapter 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I remember I came when I was a young lad, high school, went to a school in town. And so me and my friends used to sometimes get up to no good after school and go into shops and as a bit of a team steal things. It's not good, is it? And so, you know, I all, you know, therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, you know. <laughs> if God is for me, who can be against me? You know, it's Christ that justifies, who is he that condemns? I can hide behind that stuff, but at the end of the day, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, no, you've got to put that right. You've got to go in and fess up for what you've done. Because I knew that the guy who had the shop where we'd been, particularly busy, <laughs> was still there. He still owned the shop. So one day, I went to the bank I got a whole bunch of money out and I walked in and I said, you don't, probably don't know this and you don't know who I am. I said, but I just want you to know, when I, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago, I came into your shop, me and my mates, and we did all this stuff and here's some money. I'm really sorry. There's freedom on the other side of confession. What are we hiding that's tormenting our souls? Maybe we've been bad-mouthing people at work and they don't know. Maybe we just own up to that and be free of it rather than worrying about will they find out and what will they think. Hey, sorry, crashed into your car in the car park. <laughs> Didn't leave a note. Didn't, I, no one saw me. I thought I got away with it, but Man, these last six months have been hell. (laughs) There's freedom on the other side of confession. You know that money you gave me to pay the electricity bill? I was on the way there, but like, it was like 24 million this week. The the jackpot. A thousand bucks worth of tickets. Sorry. Happens. I knew what you were getting yourself into. I knew it was going to end badly. But I was just too afraid to say anything. When I stayed at your house, one day you went out 
and you left your wallet on the bench, I took enough money so that you wouldn't notice that it was gone. I've allowed myself to get too close to someone at work. I've been looking at stuff on the internet that I shouldn't be looking at. And when I said I was at cricket practice, really I was down the pub with my mates. There's freedom on the other side of confession. If we hold on to stuff and bottle stuff up, we're just going to torture our soul. Again, the fear of being found out, the fear of rejection upon being found out, the fear of judgment upon being found out. When I went and confessed what I'd done, all those things left. Again, it's unlikely that I was going to get thrown up and you know, put it to court. But just inside was eating me up. Just, this is something I can actually do something about. The third thing is about unforgiveness. Okay, so we need to confess our sins and we need to fight lies with truth. But thirdly, we need to be able to forgive those who've hurt us. You know the thing I loved about when I rang Sue and uh, said, oh, look, do you mind if I share this little story that, you know, I remember when you... Yeah. The first thing she did was burst out laughing. She said, oh, man, that was so funny. <laughs> like total forgiveness. There was nothing there. And it was just like, man, that was, you know, because we had, we had laughed long and hard, you know, after, and it's just because we were friends, you know, we just got over it. And I just think that's, that's really, you know, that, that's an awesome picture of forgiveness. Because some people, like, you, know, you can't take for granted that people get over stuff like that. I mean, that was a pretty nasty thing to do, really. <laughs> that whole letter, you know, threatening her job and security and all that sort of stuff. But the Bible talks about in order to be forgiven, that we need to forgive from the heart. Matthew 18, is it verse 45, 30, uh, 35? from the heart and again I think sometimes we're just too glib in our, in our I forgive you but then we're looking for opportunities to get payback I forgive you but watch your back buddy <laughs> when the opportunity is right watch out do we live like that do we live like we say we forgive but we're looking for opportunities to get our pound of flesh back do we continue to live like people owe us stuff if we do, we continue to be tortured because, like I said, you, if you connect yourself to somebody in that way through unforgiveness, you just, you're at the mercy of their life. Good things happen to them, it's like something bad has happened to you. Bad things happen to them, it's like, woohoo! <laughs> it's not godly behavior. <laughs> but again, we can be so susceptible to that. And this is one of the sins that ultimately needs confessing as well. Genuine forgiveness happens, I think, only in the light of our own need for forgiveness. You know, when we take the high ground and say, how could they possibly do something so wicked, so evil? That is unforgivable. Maybe you've said that. Or maybe you haven't said it that, you know, with that sort of venom, but that's how we think on the inside. And we're too Christian to actually say it. But, you know, when we think like that, it's, all it is is a lack of perspective. We have forgotten that we ourselves have been forgiven. And so before we start to get critical and judgmental and what they should and shouldn't do and what they owe me, and let's just remember that we've been forgiven a massive debt, one that we could never, ever, 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 ever pay off our own bat. And when you've got that perspective, it makes it much easier to get into someone's head and say, well, 
Maybe they didn't mean it for a start. Let's extend the benefit of the doubt. But even if they did, who am I to forgive, or to not forgive that person? Because I've done far worse. I mean, seriously, as I've mentioned, a few, you know, exposed a few little things tonight that probably shocked some of you, but, you know. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, who am I not to forgive? I mean, it's crazy. It would be crazy for someone to offend me and for me to get all self-righteous about it, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be silly. But we do it. We're tempted to do it. So those three things, three things that will torture our soul, the lies that we believe, the guilt that we carry, and the unforgiveness we also carry. We need to fight lies with truth. We need to fight guilt with confession. And we need to fight unforgiveness with forgiveness. If you've ever been on a detox regime, you'll know that it's not easy. I mean, your body screams out for that which you're trying to detox it of. So if you think, you know, my body is overloaded with sugar and I've got to get rid of sugar or I've got to get rid of salt, or get... what is it that your body wants and screams for? It's that very thing. And so it's tough. But if you'll press through, you know, whether it's, like, whether it's a, you know, just like a fast for a couple of days or whether it's just a, a three-week period of going off of certain things, it's tough at the time. But what about when you get through the other side? It's like you enter into a whole new realm of, of wellness, isn't it? You've been there, some of you? And like, you know, the food that used to think was dull, colourless, boring, bland, tasteless, suddenly you realise there are tastes there that you never knew were there before. And you're just your general health. You feel like you can breathe down to your toes. You feel like you can run a mile. You, know, it's all that. It's just, you just feel, you walk lighter when your body has been cleansed of all the toxins that are weighing us down. How much more our soul? If we will get rid of, make a conscious, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy to retrain our thinking when we're used to listening to the lies of the enemy, when we're used to living according to our reason, when we're used to taking advice from our friends, when we're used to watching the news and believing everything it says. But we're called to place the truth of God over and above the lies that are around about us. It's not easy to prioritize God. We looked at this last week. You know, had the joke about, you know, like you sit in the backyard and say, God, I'm going to make some time for you. I'm going to be still before the Lord. And you sit out in the backyard and the moment you do, the thousand jobs that, you know, that are crying out to be done begin to shout, come on, fix me, clean the cobwebs, paint the, the eaves, cut the lawn, pull out the weeds. All that. It's not easy. But if you will do it, it will be worth it. So let's make time. Let's, let's use this series, not just to say, oh, that was nice. Learn a few nice little scriptures and but let's do it there's no power in just learning stuff there's power in putting it into practice let's prioritize time with God I'm just summarizing the sorts of things that we've looked at this last series let's deal decisively with the things that will try and crowd God out of our lives let's know and stand on God's truth and that you know that does mean doing the basics like you know reading our Bible or listening to it Maybe MP3s, all that sort of stuff. You, you, we can't escape those things, people. This is Christianity 101. Let's starve the ungodly desires in our lives, the, the things that war against our souls, it talks about in Galatians. And if we will do these things, just as your body feels lighter, just as you feel like taking on the challenge, just as you feel like running around the block, whereas before you could hardly lift yourself off the couch, so too in the spirit, in your soul, 
there'll be a sense of wellness. There'll be an attuning to, like I said before, with the, 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 the taste buds, you know, the things you've never experienced before. So too, in the realm of our soul, we begin to appreciate and recognize things that are going on that we never knew before. When we're too big, you know, bogged down with you know, getting to work and earning money and getting home and watching TV, you don't, you don't um, get the extras in life. You don't just pick up on and, and marinate in the beauty of this world that God has created. You don't appreciate the friends that he's given you and the family he's surrounded with you with and so on and so forth. You don't really appreciate all that God is and all that he's done for you. You know, Jesus said this, the thief comes to kill, steal and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life to the full. And I just think that's what it's about. There's a realm of life for those that have you know, done a, a physical deed. There's a realm of life that you never believe possible on the other side of that. And so too in our soul, if we will deal with these things, we can enter into a realm of life that we never ever thought possible. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.